0: Welcome to ShoreWords, the ASPN podcast of coastal literature, the factual and fictional accounts that transport us towards the shore. I'm Leslie Ewing, the host of ShoreWords, and each month I'll be talking with authors about their coastal writings and with coastal leaders about the tales and stories that inspired their chosen paths. Today is my great pleasure to be talking with Nicole Elko and Kim Garvey about their paper on A Century of Coastal Nourishment. But before that, Um, Let's take a moment to hear from our sponsors.
1: The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show.
0: So Nicole and Kim... You've got this great paper out. Of course, it wasn't in Shore and Beach, but it was a wonderful article about coastal nourishment. And um, just as an introduction to our listeners, uh, Nicole is the science director for American Shore and Beach Preservation Association, and Kim is the president of California Shore and Beach Preservation Association. And so together they span both Um, geographically, most of the U.S., as well as um, Nicole has a background in geology and Kim is an engineer. So, um, while they're normally on opposite sides of the volleyball net, when we have our annual ASBPA volleyball tournament, um, both geologists and engineers are really important for coastal programs, coastal planning. Um, especially beach nourishment projects. So I think it's great that we have the the multidisciplinary people talking about this paper and about the concerns with beach nourishment. So to start, Nicole, can you introduce people to yourself other than what I have briefly said and explain your interests in the coast and what you've been doing?
2: Sure. Thank you, Leslie. It's a pleasure to be here. So as Leslie said, my name is Nicole Elko. And I am based just outside of Charleston, South Carolina, um, in a place called Folly Beach. Um, Here I serve as the uh, science director for ASBPA. And I also do a lot of work with local and state beach preservation efforts, uh, as well as, you know, working around the Southeast. So I basically have been doing this for Over 20 years now, um, I started my career in Florida, on the west coast of Florida, where I uh, worked at the U.S. Geological Survey at their uh, Center for Marine Studies in St. Petersburg, and then um, served as a public servant, a coastal manager for the Pinellas County beaches before moving to South Carolina and starting my consulting firm, Elko Coastal Consulting, which is part of uh, all of these activities that I do, including the science director of ASBPA. So my, again, my pleasure to be here.
0: You have a long history of beach activities and, and being in states with very um, tourist destination beaches and wonderful parts of the coast. So glad that you've been um, persistent and continuous in your, your
1: coastal efforts. And Kim, what's your background? Hi there. First of all, I'll just say it's an honor to be here with both of you. So thank you for having me. Um, as, as you've mentioned, Leslie, I am an engineer by background. Um, I started out in sort of a, um, I've got a bit of an odd background. I actually came from aerospace. I worked in the aerospace industry and space systems for almost 17 years. But during that time, I played beach volleyball with a whole bunch of coastal people, coastal engineers and scientists. And they were always talking about all the cool things they did and projects that they worked on. And I became fascinated in uh, coastal engineering. And so somewhere along the way, I actually, uh, I went back to school and got some uh, coastal engineering background and switched uh, into the coastal engineering world. So I've actually worked about just almost as long in coastal engineering now as i did in aerospace engineering and um, i truly enjoy it i currently work for moffitt and nickel which is a uh, engineering consulting firm that specializes in waterfront and i've got the opportunity to work on a lot of um, a lot of projects i'm based out of southern california but as you've mentioned leslie i do I am the president of the California chapter of ASBPA. So get involved, uh, thankfully, in a lot of projects across the coast of California. So happy to be here. Glad that you're here too.
0: Nicole, I know you've been looking at beach nourishment for years and your your background and history of, of being in Florida and North Carolina kind of explains some of that, but what led you to want to write this paper and, and get together such a wonderful group of co-authors who, um, I think, really enriched the paper by providing so much geographic diversity? What was what what got you doing this?
2: The uh, motivation for the paper and really for a lot of the activities that ASBPA has been involved in over the last several years is this opportunity that we have to take a national perspective on things that are often thought of as local issues. So beach nourishment um, is often, you know, the federal government is often criticized for funding it, or the state governments are saying, are saying well, you know, you, you local communities should use your tourist money and deal with that. So um, a lot of times communities don't have that opportunity to, to look at well, wh- what are they doing in other states, or how, how are they ha- managing beach erosion in other parts of the nation? And the database that this paper is based upon addresses that concern. It provides a national perspective on how many communities nationwide have employed beach nourishment to mitigate coastal erosion, and really allows for comparisons across the nation that previously weren't available.
0: Why did you feel like you needed to go back 100 years, though? I mean, this is an amazing database that you've assembled and and a pretty amazing uh, presentation of the data. But most people aren't thinking 100 years back when they're thinking about why we need to do stuff on our beaches today. Why the 100 years? Or why the, why the big deep dive into history?
2: Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Um, And it has a pretty simple answer, but I think it can also provide for interesting discussion about where we're headed. So the simple answer is that's how long we've been nourishing beaches in the United States. The first beach nourishment project was actually constructed in New York on Coney Island back in the 1920s. So uh, coming up on that 100 year anniversary of beach nourishment in the U.S. seemed the appropriate time to to take this historic look back and um, see how, you know, we've how, how far we've come as a nation and also take the opportunity to look at how different states have evolved and, you know, how may- maybe some of them will be evolving over the next several decades.
0: Now, Kim, we're both in California, and uh, I earlier, about 10 years ago, read something from Tom Campbell saying that California has done more beach nourishment than any other state, and it was at a time when California was starting to talk about having more federal involvement in beach nourishment, and this article in particular helped um, distill ideas I had had about sort of the differences between California nourishment and other
1: states. Do you want to go into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah, it's been, that was something that was really interesting in looking, doing the dive into the national database, Um, and it's been written about by previous authors, as you mentioned, but California ranks number one, or did rank number one in the past century for the amount of volume of sand being put on beaches, but if you look at just, say, the last 10 years, we've actually slipped to to seventh place in comparison to other states. So there's been a lot of historic beach nourishment that has kept our beaches wide, um, but over the last 10 years, um, as is pretty evident, if you look at a lot of beaches, um, particularly in Southern California, a lot of those beaches eroded and it's, and it's due to the, to the lack of nourishment. Um, there's been some papers written where citing that beach nourishment has provided, um, if you look at, for instance, the Santa Monica and San Pedro uh, literal cells here in Southern California, there's been more, to, up to ten times more beach nourishment on those beaches than there has been sand coming from you know natural sources, rivers and creeks. So beach nourishment has provided a you know huge historic um, input to helping our beaches be, be wide and stay wide. Yeah. And I think there's a, a big uh,
0: misperception amongst many people about what our beaches, what our natural beaches look like. And one of the photographs in your articles, two the, some of the photographs in your articles show Delray Beach and the changes that have occurred there through nourishment. Um, so, Nicole, do you want to talk a little bit about the Florida experience
2: the that's one of the points we try to make early on in the paper is that so many beaches around the United States have been renourished over the years. Actually four hundred seventy five US. communities have placed sand on their beaches through beach nourishment. So you know there are very few, especially those tourist destination type beaches that are still in their natural state. Um, and there, there's a funny story that our colleague Tom Campbell tells about that Delray project. And that is he he is walking out on the beach with his coastal engineers, um, you know, about midway through a, a, a decadal long, long-term beach nourishment program. And they're getting ready to do another renourishment. And and one of the property owners says, why are you destroying this beautiful natural ecosystem by p- pumping sand out here and putting all these bulldozers? Well. You know, it, it's, not a, it's not a pristine ecosystem, but that's testament to how successful beach nourishment is as a, a living shoreline, right? As a, a restoration technique, that it, it is successful in restoring this, this coastal ecosystem to a, a state that, you know, the, not just the, the tourists, but, but the homeowners and the, the people that are there every day uh, think and really feel that this is a, a natural system because it's functioning just like one.
0: For both of you, um, what were some of the big surprises you had as you went into the data and really started to do more of a, an analysis on it? So, Kim, your big surprise
1: was what? I think my, my big surprise was the amount of sand that went on the beaches in the 40s and the 50s in California. A third of the volume uh, of beach nourishment in California occurred in the 40s and 50s. But you know when you when you think about it or when I now think about it it makes sense because that's when a lot of our harbors and marinas were being constructed and so there was this great beneficial use so all that dredge material was then placed on the beaches so that was probably my biggest surprise is understanding truly how much went on the beaches in the 40s and the 50s
0: yeah it seems like a lot of the nourishment back then was taking sand from right along the shoreline that would have been beach historically or further back than historic perhaps, but that areas that had had a beach component to them, but then were converted into marinas, as you say, or large construction projects on the coast. And the easiest way to dispose of that sand was to place it on the beaches where most of our nourishment until recently hasn't been going offshore and looking for sand.
1: Right. Good
0: point. Yeah. And yet, Nicole, most of the the East coast sand and Gulf coast sand, my understanding is that comes from offshore where you've got that trailing shoreline, which is left beach sand behind, and you've got a broad continental shelf with lots of supplies of sand available. That's right. So, do you think there's a percept different perception for beaches based on the uh, derivation of the sand that comes onto those beaches?
2: Yeah, I do. I, you know, here on the East Coast, we use um, the offshore borrow areas, as you mentioned, um, but a lot of a lot of areas either have in the past utilized inlets or beneficial use of material dredged from harbors. You know, if it's of beach quality, and that. That sediment is normally the sand that's probably just eroded or just moved off the beach and and transported into the harbor. So it's typically of of better, um, it's a better match for the existing sand on the beach. And and you do, you do see uh, a trend nowadays that the the stakeholders seem to prefer that that sand versus the offshore sediment.
1: There, I think there's also a public education aspect of whenever we do put sand on the beach and that sand is dark, um, I don't, I, I have encountered it many a time where the public thinks because it's dark, because it's come from the bottom of a harbor, when it's initially put on the beach, that somehow it's contaminated or bad. Um, but time and time again, that, that sediment bleaches out and becomes a nice sand color. But, there's always a public perception uh, for initial beach nourishment that that sand is, is not good sand because of where it came from. So that, that maybe is something that we can do better in terms of public education in the future.
0: Nicole, I haven't forgotten about you for surprises in this paper. Your, your surprises are going to be kind of interesting because you've been involved with this so long, but did anything come out that made you go, oh,
2: Yes, in fact, um, two big things really jumped out at me. One was the remarkable fit of the exponential curve to the U.S. beach nourishment volume over time. You know, how much sand we've been placing on the beaches has literally increased <laughs> with, a, with an R-squared value of 0.978, right, fit, which is remarkable for anyone who's a statistician. Um, over time, the, the volume of sediment that we've been placing on our beaches Right, has increased exponentially. Now, now that is surprising for a number of reasons. You know, dredging costs have gone up tremendously in the last decade. So one might think that perhaps uh, communities were easing away from beach nourishment, not the case. Um, the other big surprise to me was that although we have placed uh, 37 million cubic yards of sand on our beaches over the last 10 years, that when you normalize that by the length of shoreline that we have in the U.S., we're actually only placing 4.6 cubic yards per foot. You know, if, for every foot of beach, we're only placing less than five cubic yards of foot per year on those beaches. So it's not a tremendous—it's not a tremendous volume of sand relative to the tremendous uh, length of coastline that we have in the U.S. Main, and, and I think the take-home point there is. We're maintaining the beaches of the U.S. Um, in a very efficient manner, right? The, the tourism industry provides billions of dollars to the economy. Um, we invest millions each year to maintain those beaches and maintain that economy.
0: But one of the, the things that I thought of with the exponential increase in nourishment and a comment that was made about the California beaches of our nourishment dropping off over time in part because of difficulty of finding economical sources of sand. Are What do you think about for the future? Certainly the need is going to be there if not growing. Will there be the sand available and the opportunities to provide it?
2: Yeah, that's a question that is that weighs heavily on the mind of many a coastal manager. There is a a large effort underway right now in the Army Corps of Engineers here in the Southeast, the, the South Atlantic Comprehensive Coastal Study. And there's a, a big investment in understanding the available sand resources along the coast here. Um, the data do indicate that we have sufficient sand resources available for the next 50 years when you look at both what's available offshore and what's available in our inlets and harbors. So I think with, with good science and proper management that we will be able to sustain this momentum, if you will, over the next decades.
0: So even with an exponential growth over the next 50 years, we'll have enough sand. Is that what you're saying?
2: Yeah, that's what the the databases are indicating. And, you know, we are leaning more upon the renewable type sand resources. So I think that
0: direction will, will help out tremendously in the future. And is that apparent on all the coasts, the East Gulf and West Coast? I'm not sure
2: if it is on the west coast. Perhaps Kim could give us some input there. But um, I think the, you know, that's also kind of averaged over a large region. So there are certainly areas of the U.S. where we have concerns about running out of sand. Um, you know, the Miami area is one where many of the available sand resources have been depleted. So there are areas of of concern, and then areas where where sand is more plentiful overall. Yeah.
1: I do think it's a challenge on the west coast, as you mentioned, Leslie, to find sand sources. You know, on the east coast, you can go a, a couple miles offshore and find your sand and bring all that sand onto the beach. And California, as you mentioned, with our steep coast, um, you go a couple miles and you're uh, offshore and you're in hundreds of feet of of uh, depth of water. So, so finding uh, near shore. Um, borrow sites for sand is a bit more challenging. I know USGS is, is doing some studies up and down the coast of California to, to locate borrow sites. Um, the Corps of Engineers does use an offshore borrow site for a very successful program down here called the Surfside Sunset Beach Nourishment Program, where they obtain um, on the order of a million to 2 million cubic yards of sand from an offshore source and put that sand on Sunset Beach and it provides beach nourishment for miles of coastline. So it's been a very successful program and it's a great model for hopefully other areas, uh, other beaches that we can nourish in California. Um, The other thing I'll add is that I think there is a need to not only do these big regional projects, but we we hope to improve on opportunistic projects. So uh, oftentimes, opportunistic projects are smaller. We might be talking about 50 or 100,000 cubic yards of sand, but we, if we can do, um, take advantage of opportunities as they come up, rather they're, maybe they're flood control channels that are being cleared, um, and then that sand, if it's a good beach quality sand could be put on the beach, that could greatly supplement these bigger regional projects using offshore sources. So I'm hopeful for that. And one other thing to note, Leslie,
2: is the opportunity to look into other alternative forms of, of erosion control, right? Beach nourishment alone is one tool in the coastal management toolbox, and the paper does address this. You know, there's a spectrum of, of uh, technologies available to us from, you know, on one end, you have armoring and, and, and coastal structures, and on the other end, you have managed retreat. So, um Beach nourishment is, is pretty important on that spectrum because adding sand to the system is critical in, in implementing most of those strategies, but we do encourage communities to look at all of those opportunities.
0: Certainly, and that, that is how beach nourishment has been examined by, in most coastal management situations. And um, certainly in California, it tends to be a part of that um, opportunity in the toolbox. And one of the the areas that is becoming far more um, discussed in California is actually living shorelines, which one might say have been around for centuries and, and longer and aren't really anything new, and yet they've become a, a new idea or a new approach to shore protection where you use some sand, but then you also use vegetated dunes or you use other features as well. and it seems like that is going to be another new demand for sand and uh, a, a part of that toolbox for looking at coastal management. And um, I know dunes have been a, a major part of many beach projects along the East Coast for a number of years, but do you see that becoming more of a, a term used in talking about nourishment of a living shoreline effort Absolutely, uh, the, the president of
2: ASBPA likes to say that beach nourishment was the original living shoreline. Uh, you know, we, there are a lot of projects that we used to call them hybrid projects. And I think some engineers still use that term for the ocean side projects that, you know, might resemble what is a living shoreline project now, maybe on an estuary or, or, or backside of a barrier island where there's a combination of perhaps a, a sill or a coastal breakwater or a structure, perhaps even buried in the dune, Combine that with a wide sandy beach, uh, a vegetated dune, and you have these multiple layers of protection, um, engineering redundancy, if you will, that really, really help contribute to mitigating damages.
0: True. I found it interesting. I went to the Jersey shoreline after Hurricane Sandy, and everyone was talking about the lost revetment that was exposed and that provided so much protection. So it's been clear for a number of years that um, structures and sand and vegetation do work together. Uh, Are there areas where you see, um, Kim, are there areas where you see using a living shoreline perhaps that with a dune system or something that where perhaps a beach nourishment system alone wouldn't have been able to work?
2: Um,
1: Good question. So I, you know, one of the living shoreline projects that has recently been constructed is in Cardiff Beach in Encinitas, California. And that's a great example of a, as you mentioned, sort of this hybrid project where you have a a sort of, I call it a backstop or last line of defense rock revetment, which is protecting the Pacific Coast Highway that runs along that shoreline, directly along that shoreline. But on top of that rock revetment, which you would never know was there, is a a, a nice wide sandy beach and vegetated dunes. And so it's a, a great example of being able to use this hybrid approach where you typically have a, on a normal day, you have a nice wide sandy beach with beautiful vegetated dunes. But in the case where Maybe that's that sandy beach is not being able to be nourished for whatever reason, or you have a significant storm event, you have that backstop, last line of, of defense, rock revetment, protecting the Pacific Coast Highway. So so yes, I do think there's definitely opportunities for these hybrid approaches. And so, Nicole, where do you what do you
0: want to use this paper to do? Who are you going to be sending it to or have you sent it to that? You want them to read it to say, "Aha! What, what's the ASBPA approach to using this article?" We are um,
2: promoting the article as uh, both a historic overview of uh, beach nourishment and also a, an educational opportunity for our members and other coastal communities. You know, the stakeholders of ASBPA really are the the local coastal communities of the U.S. and we want them to understand the investment that has been made in our beaches over the last century, um, the importance that that really the federal, state, and local governments have placed upon them by by making that investment, and then you know to understand that it, it, it's economical, right? It's not it's not this waste of money that 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 sometimes is criticized for being. It's actually um, you know, we're placing a very small amount of sand on our beaches, really, in the, in the grand scheme of things to protect uh, the entire U.S. coastline. So all those educational messages are really important for us to get across.
0: Um, I noticed, though, that while the Great Lakes states have done some nourishment, it's a very small amount, and they weren't discussed. Do you think they've got a different story to tell than the East Gulf and California coasts? The Great Lakes states
2: are included in the database, um, but they have had relatively small volumes compared to some of the other states. So the, there was so much information for us to attempt to consolidate here and present. We uh, we, we focused on the states with the largest programs um, in hopes that other community or other states that are looking to expand their state management programs could learn from those um, experiences in Florida, California, New Jersey, uh, and the Carolinas and other other states that have had programs in place for many years. So the Great Lakes do a lot of um, beneficial use. They place a lot of sediment from, sandy sediment from harbors um, on the beaches, and even a lot more in the form of nearshore berms, which is allowed to to migrate onshore, but it's just a much smaller scale system. So Whereas we're typically dealing with million cubic yard projects on the open ocean coasts of the U.S., we're generally dealing with kind of an order of magnitude lower volume projects on the on the Great Lakes.
0: So, Kim, what do you have next going on for papers that might go into shore and beach or elsewhere? What are you up to next with this with a study into beach nourishment?
1: I've got a, a couple of uh, personally a couple of interesting projects. One is looking at a living shoreline, as you mentioned, and a, and a beach in Southern California at Capistrano Beach. So looking forward to being able to uh, apply a living shoreline and understand how it performs in, a, in, a, in an open ocean coast using cobble as part of the substrate. Um, also, uh, I don't know if it's, I can do a plug now for a California shore and beach preservation association. We have an upcoming webinar series. That's about sediment along the California coast and the changing landscape. Our first in our series of webinars is on March 1st. So that's going to be a great series. Hopefully everybody can participate in that.
0: And Nicole, as science director, what do you see doing next with this or where are your next projects going to be?
2: Yeah, we always have many initiatives going on at ASBPA Science and Technology, but in terms of this one in particular, we um, hold an annual update to this nourishment database. So there'll be, uh, and we start that every April. So we'll be excited to crank that up again here to have our regional managers reach out to local coastal managers around the U.S. to see what projects were completed in 2020 and, and update that into the database. Um, and then we're really excited that the U.S. Coastal Research Program provided funding to um, Tiffany Roberts-Briggs at Florida Atlantic University and one of her graduate students to take a deeper dive into this database and um, do some additional analyses. So we'll be really excited to see the outcomes of that research and an upcoming publication. Uh, we'll be sure to get something in and Beach with the results of that
0: one. Great. Thank you for the Shore and Beach plug, by the way. Uh, any closing comments you want to make? Anything that uh, you were expecting me to ask you, I never got around to, that you want to, you want to highlight?
2: Well, if it's possible, I'll, I'd be happy to share a link to the this paper that we've been discussing today with the listeners.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much. We'll put that into the blurb that discusses this podcast. And with that, I'd like to say thank you so much for listening to this beach nourishment discussion on Shore Words. I hope that the time we've had with Dr. Elko and Kim Garvey has both taught you something about beach nourishment, encouraged you to go out and look at the beaches and look at them with perhaps a new eye toward what has gone into making many of those beaches and as you see people on the beach enjoying it and feel like you want to be an advocate for beach nourishment, um, maybe talk with them about what you've learned. Otherwise, um, please enjoy the coast. Enjoy it safely. Go out and write about the coast as you see that you've got things to um, explore and explain to people. And I hope we'll be back soon with another um, interesting discussion about the coastline, and our Shorewards area. Thank you so much.